0: the at U2 podcast where we talk all things U2 album news tour dates community discussions from the staff of at U2 we are back once again to continue our series on album by album series of U2 albums I guess obviously (laughs) I'm joined once again by Sherry hello Sherry
1: hey I wish this podcast hadn't been recorded in the back garden
0: (laughs) Kenny (laughs) do you have a rattle and hum quip at at the ready
2: oh no I haven't (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, I wasn't expecting
0: that. <laughs> well, it's okay. We can almost... Uh, oh, no, I can't. I'm not, I'm not prepared. There we are.
2: It's sort of a, a musical journey, really. I, I was going to say that. I thought, oh, no, I'm going to steal, going to steal Larry's thunder. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we can sub in some for you. Uh, Aaron, Govern is back as well, or Ivan.
3: Hi. Hi, everybody. How are you, Aaron? Uh, no. I'm very good now. Thinking what you're just saying there, perhaps what you can do for me is to make me look like Montgomery Cliff, particularly as this is a podcast. Nobody can see me.
0: <laughs> Have you got? <laughs> Sometimes you drop references that are too obscure for me, even me, and uh- they're
3: even obscure for me.
1: <laughs> Imagine what Montgomery must think.
0: So I
3: don't think he looks good now. That's for sure. <laughs>
0: Yeah, okay, moving on. We
1: <laughs> We're all a bit punchy this because be some of us show. were up a little late last night. That's okay.
0: Yeah, and some of us are up late as it is right now if so, for Aaron and Kenny across the pond, but uh we're all home depending on when you're listening to this actually when it goes out live or, or goes out to you in the podcast feed we're recording it live it's probably going to be released in a week or two who knows how this whole schedule works but uh we are all back and safe and sound from the U240 weekends that happened what feels like a long time ago now but it was actually only as we record this just under 2 weeks ago I guess um and so Sherry and myself were in Cleveland Aaron and Kenny were in Dublin I'd love to hear Kenny and Aaron just some thoughts on how Dublin went down and what what all what your experience was there celebrating U2's 40th. Kenny, you go first. <laughs> Put you on
2: the spot. Uh, oh, oh crikey. Yeah, I was going to say I'll start off with Guinness. <laughs> um, no, do you know what? It was a fantastic weekend. Um, bumped into lots of uh, U2 fans from all over the world. Uh, hats off to... Aaron, he did a fantastic job. It was magic seeing Ivan McCormack there, and he just totally got right into the spirit of things. I think he quite enjoyed his his moment in the spotlight, so to speak. December forty years right. in the making. Yeah, I know absolutely, but he was he was great, and he you know he just totally got into the the interview thing on stage, um, and some great great stories. And actually, everyone just stopped and listened, which was fantastic. Bearing in mind, it was a kind of great wee venue and. You know, potentially quite chatty, but everyone listened in. Uh, and great bands. December were absolutely fantastic. So they were uh, a fantastic version of I Fall Down. Uh, I think it's it's splattered all over YouTube and whatever else. But if you haven't heard it, go and check it out. Really, really good. And then the Joshua Tree. My first time ever seeing uh, a tribute band, and they were fantastic. So it was a great weekend all round. Actually, so it was met lots of people that I've seen seen online or. <laughs> new online and all that kind of sort of stuff. Um, great buzz about the place. Great badges. I don't know what else to say. It was fantastic. Oh, and the Guinness was quite good as well.
0: <laughs> I think you mentioned that already. <laughs> no, <I'm just> <laughs> yeah. What was that like? I guess you've you said this. I'm just curious because you you said this is your first time seeing a YouTube cover band, and it is kind of a weird experience for for fans to sort of like see a band copying their favorite thing. Um, and some of us have had the opportunity to see that. You know in multiple times, maybe or whatever, but uh, being that this is your first time seeing it, what was it kind of like? Was it a bit odd to sort of
2: visually? Obviously, it's a bit odd because you don't have Bono Edge, uh, Larry, and Adam right in front of you. Right. Um, uh, but you know, in terms of, I thought they sounded really good and you know, pretty similar to the real thing. I mean, I probably shouldn't really say that, um, but you know. And, and no, I, I, you know, really great sound. They were loud. Everyone got into it. So it was kind of quite surreal, actually. But um, no, it just really worked. I, I, you know, yeah. I, would I rush back and see another tribute band? I'm not sure I would. I'm not, I haven't really thought about it. But um, it was, uh, well, actually, we, we, we saw uh, there was a, another tribute band we happened to see in another venue, which were okay as well. So, um, I suppose I actually have seen two. Actually, when it comes to think of it, but um, no, it was great. It was great, um, very surreal, as you say. But actually, probably less surreal because uh, Edge. I can't remember his real name. Actually, really <laughs> sounded like Edge. So he did.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's like, like it's a little funny when you're saying it, referring to the 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 person impersonating Edge or something. But uh, Aaron, you had a big hand, obviously, in organizing, and uh, kudos to you for putting in a ton of work. Getting that all set up and organized and keeping everybody on track and all that kind of stuff, at least from what we we observed across the pond, anyways. But how does it feel to be done now and any sort of reflections on the weekend?
3: Oh, it was, it was just superb. And myself and my family were on the Thursday, so we made a, a bit of a mini holiday. All my folk live in Dublin in any case. Um, but it was great. Um, the Friday night, um, as Kenny mentioned, in fact, I met Kenny quite late on in the uh, the church, which is a pub club in Dublin, to see another tribute band. And uh, they were fantastic. And, of course, we also had Googie there uh, that night. He he turned up, and that was uh, great for the the U2 fans, many, of course, who'd never met him before. Quite a character. And, um, yeah, that was great. And as I say, the, the whole thing worked very, very well. We had a very good venue um, in the Grand Social. The Joshua Tree, uh, absolutely ultra-professional, Outfit, and I mean, it, it's a bit of an insult almost to call them a tribute band because they are as good as you two in terms of musical capability and the renditions of some of the songs. In my bet, you know, in my view, they were even better than the real thing. Excuse the pun. Um, and there were songs that they, you know, we had the, the vote online to pick a few of the rarities, but also as well, they pulled out some nice songs to hear live, like Excess, you would never normally expect to hear. A band play Exit, but it was absolutely brilliant. And I've only ever heard Exit on the Joshua Tree tour, so that, that was great to hear it again. And um, I think for me, what was fantastic was just watching the faces of best over three hundred and fifty people. I think we had Kenny. Um, just watching the sheer unadulterous joy in their faces throughout the whole of the concert. It really actually felt like being at a U two concert. And uh, as you know, big shout as well to December who were mesmerizing. Um, they were just absolutely superb. And I would recommend uh, everybody to go out and check them out. Buy their album. It's available on iTunes. Really are a superb band in their own right. And I uh, say, Ivan McCormick, now our friend, um, he's, he's, he himself is also a very, very good musician. And, uh, wow, his stories were just brilliant. We had lunch with him earlier on the Saturday and uh just the stories about the music industry and you know the parallel careers of his own band with his brother neil as you two got bigger and bigger it was very funny to listen to him and he's just naturally uh, a, a, a good fun all round guy really really good but so we were very pleased because they so, say it was um, very well received we had people from i think it was 16 countries we had people from brazil australia we had them from canada america Everywhere in, in Europe you can name, and of course, even Ireland. <laughs> even Ireland, wow. Even Ireland.
0: <laughs> I'm, curi- I, I'm curious now, uh, you mentioned Canada, who who came from Canada, but I don't expect you have kept a roster of <laughs> nationalities and <laughs> who came from where. Well,
3: we, amongst others, we had Aaron Sams um, oh, right. from U2 Songs, ex-U2 yeah. Wanderer, and uh, he had brought over a fair few people from uh, Canada. Well, not not him personally he had brought them over, <laughs> they they. He's head, got his own They stayed in separate hotels, I believe. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, he, there, was a, there was a lot of people. And, you know, a big shout out as well to you 2 uh, Fan Tours, which is a page Facebook uh, group on uh, on Facebook, obviously, because uh, Phil Chambers, um, who lives in Nottingham in the UK, he had brought over about 100 people. And then we had 100 people. 60-odd people come from the uh, United Kingdom, and he alone had brought over around 100, and that was great to see so many people. And uh, we had a lot of people who'd been on the U2 uh, I&E live video in Paris. There's quite a few of the, the ladies who'd been up on stage, so they were there. So it was a good, all-round nice. fun concert. Yeah, that's awesome. And the
1: amazing thing is 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 that is that event, Sold out in like less than a week, didn't it? When tickets first oh, went it, on sale,
3: it, I, th- I think we did it in four days. And you know, there was at one point in time we were thinking, "Crikey, should we move it up to $500, 600 700 And I think we could have sold it out. But it, that's what made it extra special. I think was the fact that everybody knew it was a very hard concert to get in. We had a lot of people, gay, crash it on the night as well, um, trying to get in, trying to buy tickets. Um, so they were they were a bit like gold dust in the end. So that was a good vibe on the night. It really helped.
0: Nice. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and over here on the other side of the pond, we had, uh, obviously the, the Cleveland, I was gonna say Cleveland contingent, but obviously folks from around the world came to Cleveland as well, to the rock and roll hall of fame to help celebrate as well. The U 40th weekend. Uh, if you are listening to the podcast, episode number 40 was the conversation we recorded from Cleveland with Dave Fanning. So by now you've probably heard that, but, uh, that was, I don't know, sheriff. a brief recap of any other, like there's lots of stuff there obviously just sort of, uh, to, that was awesome to see, meeting the folks, for me anyways, meeting a lot of folks for the first time, meeting lots of you listeners out there for the first time, uh, and um, having that opportunity to see see folks in person, like the folks from the uh, the YouTube project, obviously lots of folks from the IU2 team, uh, Kelly Eddington's uh, artwork that she's done, seeing that. It's one thing to see on the on the web, but seeing it in person and seeing just the the detail and how good the photos the the artwork looks uh, was awesome. And of course, chatting with Dave Fanning was great. Um, yeah. Any, anything else, Sherry, from your side of things?
1: It was a whirlwind. Um, yeah. <laughs> I unfortunately had to leave very early on the Sunday morning, so I kind of missed. Uh, uh, Mr. Gatecrasher, there. Um, oh yeah, of
0: course there is the other.
1: Suddenly showing up on the on the monitor during um, one of the sessions, but you know, Adam can do whatever the hell he wants. <laughs> He's welcome anytime. <laughs> um, but yeah, it it was fantastic to be in at the rock hall because of the history that was there. And I think that this is going to lead beautifully into our rattle and hum discussion in a few minutes, because in order to understand you two, you have to understand all of the influences and they were all there, you know, so, so you could, go over to the punk section and look at some of the um, uh, artifacts from Patti Smith. You could see the stuff from television and and, um, and you know, all the uh, punk influences and you could go over to um, you know, just a few steps away to the rhythm and blues influences and and, and you know, find out stuff about B.B. Uh, King and, and, and so on and so forth. So, it was a a fantastic location in order to fully appreciate the 40 years of artistry that this band has uh, presented to us. Um, And then to have that married with the, um, with the uh, uh, rock uh, power politics um, uh, exhibit that they had there um, about the, the political protest and how music has, uh, has been at at the heart of that for over 60 years and the amount of um of influence that a band like u2 has had over the span of four decades and continues to um you know that that was a nice, uh, addition to the whole weekend. Um, we had hundreds of people come out. It was fantastic to, uh, um, see everybody. And I was so grateful for the people like Fabiano who, who came to Cleveland and, and we, we had people come in from, from all over, uh, North America, South America. I think we had, um, a couple from, um, Uh, Australia. We certainly had a few from um, Ireland and from England in as well. Uh, It it was just a fantastic weekend. But I do have to say, having a sidebar conversation with Dave Fanning, who believes that uh, our work on At You Too is a paid profession and having to tell him, no, we do it uh, out of love, in a volunteer way, we don't get paid for what we do. We just do it out of passion for the band, the fans, and and the and the message and to have them go, well, bloody hell. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's how we feel today.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's, I don't know what uh, Aaron and Kenny, you guys experienced, but there I, I overheard and had conversations with a few different folks just like sort of amazed that, uh finding out that it wasn't this isn't like a paid gig and even friends back home who saw me going to cleveland thinking wow that's great you got podcasting you're you're being paid to go to cleveland to interview you know these youtube people or whatever and like no no this is just for fun this is out of pocket this is not a yeah so not that we don't uh say that uh because we're you know worried that you're thinking anything other than that of, about us but just because folks sometimes wonder and think that we're getting a lot of money out of this or something like that, but it is it is all in fun. And even the thing with Adam Clayton, uh, like many folks sort of expressed surprise and wonder that that happened and, and we were as surprised and in wonder as well. It was obviously uh i w- i didn't get to be there and uh, like Sherry said she wasn't there so it's not something we knew about even beforehand cuz um i was sitting in the airport and saw a notification that this was happening and going down so there's lots of folks who were uh out of the loop and by necessity obviously and uh, i guess and so uh just it was great though to have that and we will be posting we've we've got video from the rock hall we've got audio that'll probably be put into a podcast episodes to be heard you've no doubt no doubt if you're a hardcore fan at all you've probably already watched a few different versions of it that were posted and recorded by folks who are there um but i'll put a link to the uh, youtube page where we've got adam clayton's interview with dave fanning which like matt mcgee said was the best interview ever i think of one of the band members fanning
1: uh, can get away with asking clayton about having a brown pant moment. Yeah. None of us could ever have the balls to ask him that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, Well, maybe now we'll, we'll ask him about uh we stinking on the nettles or something. Aaron, what was the,
3: <laughs> Oh yes. No, <laughs> yeah, no, no, I can't say it. Yeah. <laughs> there may be children listening. <laughs> right.
0: All right. Okay. Well, that's enough of a recap uh, that we've talked about a bunch of the site and, and I'm sure it'll be referenced in future episodes as we do this. But, uh thank you all again for coming. Thanks to all the folks who helped organize and put the, both events together. And here's looking forward to what the fiftieth. Uh, we'll see if we if the band and all of us make it to the fiftieth. Uh, we'll, we'll be celebrating again somewhere. So um, well, I plan on it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um well well let's get into the uh album that we want to discuss this episode we've so if you're just this is the first al- uh, podcast episode you're tuning into we've been going album by album song by song through u2's uh albums started with episode number 34 if you go back to goodstufffm slash atu2 slash three four that's where you'll start with boy this episode we're talking rattle and hum uh came out in 1988 right if I'm that's a man, that's a long time ago feels like it was yesterday. <laughs> and of course, there's the the film uh, Rattle and Hum and then the album Rattle and Hum. And by coincidence or something like that, we happened to actually get to watch Rattle and Hum in the theater at, in Cleveland. Uh, we booked a, the uh, theater and a bunch of folks who were there for the conference, obviously, the, got to come and sort of hang out and watch the movie. And uh, I don't know about you, Sherry, but it was just I had never seen it in the theater, first of all, and I've never been in a theater with a theater full of U2 fans watching a U2 concert documentary, rockumentary, whatever you want to call it. And that was just like a fun experience that I highly recommend to anybody if they get the chance to do, just to try and do it. Because you have people singing along to the songs, of course, people laughing at the things that you laugh at, maybe when you're sitting at home watching it by yourself and and uh, crying at the appropriate moments to cry or whatever and um, holding up their cell phones as lighters during, uh, which was it, with or without you probably? um anyways just a fun fun experience that kind of like leads us nicely into this discussion of Rattle and Hum but we'll be focusing mainly on the album and less on the movie but it's worth a rewatch if it's has been a while like it had been for me um so for for you guys where and when how did you come across Rattle and Hum I know Sherry I think you you had mentioned that this is kind of like your album (laughs) so it will save you for the last maybe you will go Kenny What? What do you remember of hearing Rattle and Hum when it came out, or what it, even just before it came out? What was sort of the word on,
2: on your um, screen?
1: Yeah, I,
2: I, obviously, this was kind of like we'd moved on from Joshua Tree, and this was kind of obviously them capturing that kind of phase. Uh, and I remember not being cute, I can't remember too much about being aware about the build up to it, other than I knew it was kind of kicking around. But I remember when it came out, And I was walking in Union Street in Glasgow uh, where there was two record shops. It was HMV and Virgin, which when you actually, that was when they sold proper records, like the vinyl type things. And uh, walking past the window display and uh, there was a massive window display of the album cover. Um, And that's the one thing I always remember about this album was was that, um, was seeing... Because I think it's a fantastic album cover. I love the the kind of whole spotlight thing. Because Bono did that quite a lot during the early days as well. He we used to pick up the spotlight and shine it across the crowd, and I always thought it was really quite effective. Um, so, so, so yeah, it was part of that kind of you know next phase of Joshua Tree. I remember scratching my head, thinking, "Wow, they've gone on to doing a movie here. Um, this feels like really huge," and I probably wasn't quite quite sure about that. Um, but I also remember thinking this is great because I get to see uh, more of the band because obviously in those days, you know, you didn't really have internet and all that kind of sort of stuff. Um, and actually, as an aside, I do remember going to see, I saw the film twice and uh, I know we're not talking about the film, but I, I saw the film twice, sorry. Um, uh, and both times, one you know, the first time I saw it, I went with my sister. There was maybe about half a dozen people in the cinema and then the second time I we went to see it, I went with a friend from university, and it was just the two of us in this massive theatre in Glasgow. Uh, it was a an afternoon showing, uh, and we had the entire cinema to ourselves and that big screen. It was fantastic. Nice. Which so, <laughs> is that's my memories of it. But uh, uh, yeah, so but particularly I love the album cover. I thought that that that's when it always sticks with me. Remember seeing that, thinking, "Whoa, I love that."
0: Yeah. Yeah, the hosts are under, under threat of Meant talking about the the film is why Kenny really <laughs> snuck out. <that one. laughs> I'm just kidding. Aaron, how about you? What, what do you remember when the album dropped?
3: Yeah, I remember it very well, actually. I mean, uh, similar to Kenny, I was at university. I was in Birmingham in uh, central England, and I queued up at midnight on HMV on New Street in Birmingham, uh, main shopping district, and... It was the first album by U2 that really had a worldwide, almost multimedia-style release. I mean, obviously, you know, I realise we're not talking about the film, but the film did come out several weeks afterwards. It's about two and a half, three weeks afterwards. But this was the first uh, U2 album that actually had the tape, the cassette the LP, and the CD all released on the same day. And this is obviously when CDs were really just breaking out because even the Joshua Tree, the CD, wasn't out on the first day. It was several weeks um, in, after the uh, the album had been released. So this was a, a big, big event. And you know T-shirts were available on day one, all different types of things. So this is really seeing U2 at this point now. They'd already obviously done the Joshua Tree tour. They'd already now become a massive in America, massive worldwide. They're on the front cover of Time magazine. And they were now in a different place. They were stars. Um, you wouldn't really even need to describe U2s at the edge. It would be just at the edge. You would need the bit of the U2 there. And you know they were now so, so big that they had become real rock stars. But the thing about this album that's quite different to every other album they've done is, of course, we've got this mixture of live recordings, covers, and new songs. So it's a bit of a strange album. To go back to now 28 is it nearly 28 years now since it's been released it's one that um, I listen to a lot but it it is an album that perhaps has become a little bit unloved a little bit like um, October in that respect and as time has gone on and obviously the band have re- recorded different albums and different releases it has a different feel to it this album now in, with the benefit of hindsight and I think it's sometimes unfairly regarded by critics, even U2 fans as there were been a very pretentious, very presumptuous, a bit arrogant about how they were uh, going about their business, particularly with the recordings and Sun Studio. You know, they'd, they'd always had to explain that they had no influences in their musical career, nothing that was correct. And then there was this homage to the, uh, to, to, you know, to the days of rock and roll, when they go back to the Sun Studio, so I think there was a little bit of a, a backfire uh, and a bit of a media backlash at that point.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Sherry, how about you? Uh, when was it? When the album came out that you were drawn to it, or was it sort of post-release that you you? Stumbled Believe it or not,
1: I wasn't drawn to it because it was you too. I was drawn to it because there was only one copy of it left in a Crazy Eddie's record store (laughs) in New York City. I was in the city on a field trip with my Latin class, of all things, where all I can remember is Semper Ubi Sub Ubi, which means always wear underwear. But that's, you know, four years of Latin for you. Um, But uh, there was only one copy of the cassette left and there were two people arguing over it so I'm like ha 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 I'll go and buy it then they'll be arguing over nothing so it wasn't for any other reason than to shut up two people who were arguing in the middle of a record store that they were arguing over nothing and then um, I decided well what the heck I've got a three and a half hour long bus ride back to <laughs> home um, I'll listen to it and I was immediately um, suckered in. It was it was like a um, a hit of some narcotic, and I was hooked from the very beginning. Um, and at the end of my first listen to it, um, I wanted. More. And so, you know, they would be talking about the Joshua Tree. So, well, let's go out and get that album and see what that's all about. And within about a week, I had consumed a lot of U2 music in a very short period of time and just fell head over heels in, in love with them. I couldn't understand why there was all this backlash about the band and, and all this other stuff. Um, because for me, it was just about the music. Um, uh, this was December of '88 when I um, purchased it. So the album had already come and gone, um, as far as all the publicity goes for it. The movie in the United States w- was only in movie theaters for like 36 hours because the um, ticket sales were so abysmal that that Paramount pulled it very quickly. So I never got to see it on the on the big screen. Um, And, uh, the whole reason why I was in New York in the first place was because of, um, personal reasons, which I wrote about in an at, at U two article, which we'll, uh, link to, Mm -hmm. but you know, there's, there's, um, there's just so much for me that, that brings me back to that December 15th, 1988 day. I remember it like. Like it was, you know, uh, uh, just yesterday, um, even, you know, the smell from the German konditorei next door. I remember every single piece of it. So for me, um, Rattle and Hum will always be that album, um, that nobody can deny me. Um, so for, for all of the songs, it was the first time that I had heard them, um, you know I remember watching you two on Live aid I remember watching them in eighty six when uh local t v stations were broadcasting the last conspiracy of Hope tour, but you know that was just background music. I really wasn't paying attention at the time. I was totally into like Duran Duran and that type of thing and um and and I just wasn't attuned to them and then you know upon first listen, that was it um uh, Hawkmoon was the final, final hook, and that was only the fourth song in. So I just, I just knew at that point.
0: Yeah, didn't take long to get get you hooked for them to get their hooks in you, I guess. Or, or oh whichever. yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's an interesting one too for me because it comes. It's the last uh, as frequent if you've listened to the other episodes. Um, and heard me blather on about albums. I came at it from Actung Baby. And so I was working my way back, and friends had this playing. And it was kind of like Aaron said earlier, it was this weird, like I was thinking Actung Baby was U2, this industrial, you know, heavily distorted, etc. rock outfit. And then the next album I was hearing them play a lot was Rattle and Hum. And it's kind of this weird juxtaposition of these two bands that almost sound like completely different bands um and understandably so you know knowing now in in hindsight what the history was that they're where they were at but i had no no idea no way of knowing all the mythology and and news that was going on with the band at the time just hearing the music and stuff in in a friend's basement and um being i think yeah like being instantly attracted to the music it was um it felt raw and uh authentic and honest but then also this kind of weird like why are they why do they have helter skelter sort of included like I mean, it's the full song but it sort of sounds kind of weird and then going into a studio track and then like Aaron said kind of just back and forth um it it was kind of a weird album but I knew I was drawn to the band in terms of hearing I've always drum been drawn to music especially once I've heard it live a band hearing them live uh, that's when it really sort of draws me in if they can replicate the energy of whatever's on the record or cd or mp3 in into a live setting and then i'll go back and consume all the rest of their stuff And that's definitely what rattle and hum kind of helped me do so and i'm always am I'm impressed now looking back to um just how how prolific the band was during this period of recording material like covers and, and obviously there's a bit of like like i think aaron or kenny had mentioned you know sort of trying to find influences in a way um and and that pushed them into recording a lot of different covers and the b-sides and stuff that sort of found their way through the next few albums even um that they all recorded or started recording during this time um you certainly don't as as dave fanning puts to adam you know with the gap between recordings and stuff the they don't, they don't seem to be quite as prolific these days in terms of hungry to record music that gets out there anyways that they put out, um, sticking to the albums mainly, but I digress. We'll, um, moving on. We want to go a bit. We're not going to go exactly song by song, uh, just cause a lot of the songs are obviously versions of music. That's already been on previous albums. Um, and we're going to try and sort of skip around a little bit with that. Um, but, uh, yeah, before we do it, Kenny, you had mentioned the artwork being sort of a thing that really drew you in, and and I just learned something when I was doing a bit of research that is probably common knowledge to some YouTube fans, but wasn't to me, is that it is actually just a reenactment, uh, you know, a, a, photo, a photographic studio or whatever, a reenactment of what they were doing on stage. It wasn't actually from a live concert experience that they had that photo or whatever, which makes sense. I mean, it is it is a really good version of <laughs> of Bono with the spotlight and edge perfectly sort of positioned, etc., cetera, um, and probably not as sweaty as they should be. Given uh, what we saw with and Home, that's what I was impressed with how, or or weirded out by how how sweaty the band was on stage, uh, particularly Bono. But uh, I digress. We'll save the film version for another episode. So, um, the album itself, just in terms of reception and release, it hit number one in the U.S. album charts, remaining at the top spot for about six weeks. So, it was it, it was and is it was one of the top. Uh, selling albums in the UK where they hit number one. Double albums, anyways, they hit number one. Yeah, a,
3: c- a couple of other facts about that,
0: actually.
3: Sure. Just going back to the album cover, as you said, it was a studio reenactment. It's also the only album cover by uh, on a U2 album that's not been designed by um, Steve Avril or Sean McGrath. So this is the only time they've not used the traditional Dublin company. Um, I don't know why that ever happened, but that's the that only time. probably
1: because of Paramount Pictures.
3: Yeah, I think you're probably right, because it was all made... Pretty much wrapped up the pro, uh, production, post-production. Everything was done in L.A., wasn't it? Ocean Way in Los Angeles, I think, A and M Studios. So a lot of that got uh, got presumably contractually changed. And as you say, the album sold fantastically. I mean, it did 14 million worldwide. In the UK, it held the record for the fastest-selling album for several years. I think it was Oasis, and Being Here Now was the next uh, was the you know the next album that. Uh, Held that record, so they held that record for a long, long time um, in terms of fastest an album. So, lots of things about Rattle Home that were unique for you two at one point in time. You know, uh, hmm.
0: yeah, much like you said, Aaron, it's kind of a bit of a, a an album of contradictions in a way, where it's it was it has been and was kind of derided a bit as like this pompous, you know, arrogant kind of thing for them to put out. But then, obviously, the fans loved the music and it sold really well. But it's this weird kind of collection of music to put together and doesn't strike you in now in hindsight as with looking at their whole catalog. Is it a bit of an oddball in terms of them putting this out at the time and stuff like that? But yeah.
3: Well, well, whatever whatever we say about Rattle and Hum, and even non U2 fans, the one thing that's great about Rattle and Hum, without it, Acton Baby wouldn't have happened.
0: Yeah, it's very likely true. Like they wouldn't have been in that place where they felt like they needed to. Uh, I won't try and do my Irish accent, but go back and dream it all up again, as they say. So, yep. uh, <laughs> moving on to uh, to the song. So, we uh, I'm trying to think of the best way to do this without uh, t- being here for three hours. Uh, not that that would be a terrible thing, but uh, supper and bedtime does. <laughs> I mean, we need to do a little bit of uh, trimming, but um, we'll I'll play a little bit of each song as we go through, just so that people have a reference point for where we are. Because I know that helps me, anyways, with with uh, these kind of discussions. But uh, the album opens obviously with Helter Skelter, Helter Skelter. which is a you know two co- or U two cover. What is U two covering? <laughs> a Beatles song Um, and is powerful when you I think maybe more so when you see the movie uh, coming back to the the album that way it it feels an odd opening uh, to to my senses anyways but uh, I want to jump right ahead to Van Diemen's Langs. I know there's a couple folks who want to touch on this one And I, in listening to it again, I feel like it's one of the more beautiful U two songs actually on, that they've ever recorded. But I know Aaron, you had a some comment on it. You wanted to make?
3: Yeah, Van Diemen's Land. I mean, it's to say it's really just Edge and his guitar. Um, it's written by Edge, I think, alone. And I uh, say it's a beautiful lyric. And you know, I remember. A, going to see you 2 on the Love Town tour and okay that was virtually 15 months after the album came out but uh, Edge played that song that night, I think on every night if I remember right and it's not very often you get to see um, Edge just sing on his own um, just with his own accompaniment but it is a beautiful beautiful song and isn't it written about a Fenian poet if I remember right, I haven't got the liner notes in front of me um, but I'm sure it's yeah. John something. Sure it. I can't remember. Right who it is now? Hold on. I have the album behind me. John Boyle, sh- John Boyle O'Reilly, I think. It That's the fella. Yeah, he, he's an he, Irish. Uh, yeah, he Athenian was deported.
1: Poet. He was deported to Australia because of his poetry. Hmm.
0: A rebel. Yeah, it wasn't very good, is what. Where is now <laughs> Bono quote from that. Uh, <laughs> And Sherry, you had a, did you have a story about this too?
1: Yeah, um, uh, I was at the uh, the Zoo TV show in Boston on St. Patrick's Day um, and got to be there for the uh, first ever U.S. performance of of the song live. Um, and, and it came as a complete shock because obviously nobody was expecting it. Um, but to be in Boston with so many Irish uh, immigrants... Um, having, you know, on St. Patrick's Day, having Edge perform it and knowing what the history was. Um, th- there really wasn't a dry eye in the house um, um, while Edge was over on the B stage.
0: Nice. Yeah, it, it would be a very, I, I I can't see them pulling it out again. Who knows that they never say never, obviously, but it's one of those rarities now to have have be sung. So um, next track is uh, Desire. And for me, this is one of those songs that instantly drew me to the band because it was uh, aggressive, that sort of famous Bo Diddley beat or whatever, but uh, like a lot of the tom tom use by Larry. And and, uh, um, yeah, and then lyrically, just dead on, awesome, deep, deep, but easily. Uh, easily, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Attainable, catchy <laughs> lyrics uh, that sort of drew you in, and uh, definitely um, one of those songs that drew me to the band musically as well as lyrically. Um, and obviously, it has been used right up to this day, you know, as recent as whatever it was a few weeks ago when they used it to point out some issues with Donald Trump, maybe. But
3: um <laughs> we forget. we The forget
1: candidate.
0: <laughs>
3: the candidate. Unless we forget also a great Bono solo on the harmonica at the end.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, which would be the first, <clears throat> was that the first, yeah, pu- public anyways, recorded harmonica solo of and last maybe <laughs> by Bono. Kenny, did you have something else for a desire that you were?
2: Yeah, no, I mean, uh, there's two things that always draw me. I mean, I, I, I guess it's a great song. and I remember hearing it for the first time um, and it was kind of different even actually if you want from the, the whole kind of Josh Tree bit. I love the bit at the beginning when he goes, yeah, and then it kind of just sucks you into the rest of the song. So that's always a wee bit of a standout moment for me, which is really quite sad. But the other big kind of shout out, I think, on this, uh, and I'm going back to album covers or going to covers, um, is the actual cover of the single for Desire, which is a picture of Larry drumming. Um, and I think it's one of the most coolest um covers that they've ever done yeah I remember um, that, yeah. Uh, and they just kind of caught it it's kind of black and white as that whole kind of gig was um, uh, but you know I, I just think it looks really cool Um yeah
0: yeah I remember playing the Hollywood yeah. remix of this tons in my basement just like I'm sure my parents got sick of me playing it over and over and then also the b side on one of the singles anyways was that hallelujah here she comes yeah and learning that on guitar because it was that's what it was I always turned to Al rattle and hum a guitar nerd moment here but just because it's such a good one if you have an acoustic guitar, you two songs aren't all there's like Oh, I'll say this with it. but anyways they're not, there's not a ton of them that are, are accessible on, a, on acoustic unless you sort of rework them or whatever but whereas uh, Rattle and Hum is full of acoustic songs that are easy just to bash out on an acoustic if that's all you have and you're not sitting there with your delay pedal and your effects rack to play along with the Edge <laughs> as, as the case may be so.
1: as a sophomore in high school I had to look up what Voodoo Economics was thanks to the Desire 12 inch single
0: there you go yeah oh, right tonight,
1: Voodoo Economics yeah
0: <laughs> that's right I forgot about that <laughs> First, learning economics. A
3: great, a great song, a great single, and three minutes of pure joy again by you two. Yeah, definitely. one of the great three-minute singles they've done.
0: All right, Hawkmoon next. Yeah,
1: this was the the uh the final straw for me as a, as i as I mentioned earlier, see I was in uh um, the city um because my grandfather had told me no matter what happens, go on your Latin field trip now he was um, um very ill for quite a while, and that was one of the last things that he ever said to me and 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 the day of his funeral was the day of the trip so um Looking back on it now, 28 years later, it's as if he was trying to, you know, he had a premonition or, you know, he was trying to sway me in a particular direction. Um, and and so I, 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 I look back on, on that one trip and seeing how my life has completely changed. So as I'm listening to Hawk Moon, you know, w- with my headphones on on this dark bus driving back to Connecticut... All I could feel was the the sadness in my heart because we we were burying him that day, and I just wanted his love I wanted him back and and so um, and over time this particular song has has you know meant different things, but at the core of it is that is that uh, core desire of just wanting to feel loved and no matter what just just feeling it um bono had had said in 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 hot press about why two sixty nine he said we actually physically wore out uh the tape doing that many mixes you know <laughs> so yeah. um um uh I can't even imagine if it would have been Hawkmoon two sixty seven how much different it would have sounded, but um it's a very personal song for me,
0: yeah, it's definitely one of those ones that can mean many things to many different people and different, like you said, even at different times of life
1: and the drumming that I cannot uh, uh, think of, of a better song to highlight how important Larry is to this band than Hawkman 269.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And is it muzzle of a gun? Is that the lyric or is it? Mm, It is. (laughs) Okay. Just checking. Sounds, so you can hear different things different times. That, that lyric can be different things to different people all, all on its own, I think. <laughs> but that's a very cool story, Sherry. Thanks for sharing. Uh, and then it jumps into All Along the Watchtower.
1: The
0: <laughs> which is. To me is always a funny one that again that they include it because you can I don't know the the band goes at it hardcore and they definitely perform the song with a lot of enthusiasm not necessarily the most um the most the best example of a good U2 cover I guess in terms of musicianship but they definitely go at it and go fierce with it it's from the San Francisco concert that they did obviously live
1: um Yeah, Embarcadero Plaza. Yeah. But wasn't it also included because of the of the um Ode to um bob dylan and then dylan ends up later on the album as well
0: yeah it seems like that would be a a good connection and then like uh hendrix is on it in terms of the star spangled banner and this is a he famously sort of made the song even more famous uh, with his cover of it right um so it's a cover of a cover yeah (laughs) so which and then the you know in the movie obviously we we'll sidetrack a little bit but they're sort of luring the song as they go out on stage. So I commend them. And
1: by f- the way, the movie is off because he did not spray rock and roll stops the traffic during uh, along the watchtower.
0: Right. It's because I was actually during Pride or something. Right. I think is is what the. Yeah. So they, they took some creative license with uh, the arrangement of things. That's, that's never happened before with a YouTube video. Oh, never. <laughs> Uh, and then we'll go into, uh, or goes into. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Which I'm sure, like the song itself aside, obviously we've talked a bit about on Joshua Tree, uh, the Joshua Tree episode. But um, I think you, you have to have a, a certain. I don't know, element of your soul lacking if you can't enjoy this live version or at, especially hearing it this way for the first time. But I don't know what you guys, Kenny and Aaron, if you have thoughts from when you... Well, was it.
3: It's certainly, a, it's certainly a gospel song in this live version because we have this beautiful choir. Is it the New Voices of Freedom?
1: Yep, um, under uh, the directorship of Dennis Bell.
3: That's right. And in fact, they had a bit of a career going on for themselves straight after they had released uh, quite a few, few different... Uh, Versions of of this on single themselves, but um, yeah, it's a it's a beautiful version and probably still my favourite live version of I still haven't found you know that's been released uh, by you two. Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah,
2: I I always think that's probably how they really would have loved that song to be recorded because it is very much a gospel song, and I think they managed to hit the mark on that. Um, and I think they also did they now I'm pretty sure. Um, he used the choir and was a couple or at least one of the, the live concerts as well? It was one of the ones that Bono was wandering around with his arm in a sling
3: Yeah, which, the, would, which
2: it, would have been good to hear as well
3: actually the The album version is Manson Square Gardens That's right, that's right And the <phone rings> on the film was when they went into the church to meet them for the first time effectively Yeah
1: and we have okay. an article on the site, um, an interview with Dennis Bell, um, Rattle and Hummet twenty five that Matt did back in twenty thirteen, and we'll put that into the show notes.
0: Oh, nice! Yeah, there's a, there's actually quite a few articles on this little at you two site, <laughs> you guys have done over the years. It's awesome discovering a treasure trove of of stuff here. It's almost like it's a musical journey. Um, okay, moving on to. Oh. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> That was what watching. I, we can't not do it. A little, the watching the movie and forgetting just how kind of home video cheesy stuff some of the moments were, and I feel I felt bad in like an awkward way for the band sometimes that they were like put in front of the cameras and clearly didn't know what they were going to be doing in front of the cameras, because um, I've done that to my friends many times too. All uh, right, freedom for my people.
3: Freedom from my people.
0: Apparently I did a really short clip of that one, I guess, <laughs> but <laughs> it was what this hearing this one on the, on the album was just kind of like, I, I don't know what you guys pictured when you heard it. It wasn't exactly, I hadn't, I hadn't seen the movie and so it wasn't, I didn't have any idea what the, where it was or what it was. It just kind of, I thought it was like a sample from something that happened like a really long time ago and not like, uh, obviously once you see the movie, you can see that, uh, Bono and, and Gavin Friday and a few other folks are sort of wandering the streets of New York and come across these guys um but yeah and
1: that was Sterling McGee Bobby Robinson and Michael Mabens, um published by Bobby Robinson's Sweet Soul
0: nice yeah
1: uh, publishing
0: so yeah it was just again a, a funny but interesting kind of uh obviously heading into this this sort of next set of songs that they were doing uh Silver and Gold Bride Lover etc um you know thematically it fits but uh, again just like including a another artist's sort of song on one of their albums is kind of a, a weird thing i guess in this day and age for you and two but all right let's keep moving silver and gold All right. Anybody have some? uh, My only comment on this one: (laughs) I love the song, but uh, having seen the movie again lately, the I can just see uh, the Edge and Adam uh, sort of their awkward dancing as they play this song is kind of burned into my brain a little bit too much, I think. But (laughs) Uh, I don't know, Kenny. Do you have a silver and gold thought?
2: Um, I I actually quite like this um, because this was the full band version of the song that Bono wrote or, oh, crikey, somebody help me out. It's, Artists uh, United
1: Against Apartheid. Oh, right.
2: That's right, yeah, which was I really... A it was city. A, that's right. That's right. And it was, a it really was effectively
3: really, a hidden track, wasn't it, on the uh, Sun City? Yeah. yeah. It wasn't even listed so right at the end. It was the one and they it, did with um, Ron called? Wood. Oh, sorry, Bono did, I should say, not you too. Bono did with it Ron Wood and Richard.
2: Yeah. And it was real rough and ready when he recorded it, which... Um, mm which actually sounds great when he does it on his own, so he does. But, I mean, the the full band version really brings it alive. And, um, I mean, I think actually this recording of it does it real justice in terms of it it being a great song. Mm. Um, But I I do like the Bono kind of version of it, but there's, there's something just, well, it's the same, isn't it? When you bring the four of them together and they kind of play music, it kind of makes things happen. And I think this is... A kind of really good example of it. They do so, so I think it really does it justice. It really makes the the song come alive.
0: All right, and uh, next up is Pride.
1: I know why I don't like Pride Live. <laughs> You figured because it I was weaned on the rattle and hum version, which has got a much faster tempo and it's much more upbeat. And when they play it, it's been at a slower tempo and in a different key and it never sounds the same.
0: Yeah, which is actually like a, it may sound silly that uh, like as if you're being really picky, but it often is uh, just like a subtle change in key and or tempo that can completely change a song, which is again, going back to when a band decides to record a song and they do set a tempo or they set a key for a song, you know, you can freely move it up or down key or tempo, but it does affect the energy and the vibe of the song to butcher that phrase. But, um, I can, I can totally agree with you. And especially again, like seeing the concert video, um, yeah, there, there is just a, feels like a bit more energy in the song that, isn't there the same way or, or I've just heard it tons, I guess is another way of looking at it for myself, but that's a good, good observation for sure. So, um,
1: and I also like how they, um, um, in the olden days with an A side, B side, C side and D side with this particular, um, release pride ended the first side of, of the, um, um, of, of the cassette. So when, 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 you flip it over to the next side, you've got what, uh, one, two, three, four, five, six new songs all in an order. So, so it's like pride is the, is the last of all the, you know, the grazed hits types of um, um, live versions uh, until mm. you get towards the end of side two or side D or whatever format you're listening to it on.
0: Yeah, which is a thing that you don't have to think about as much anymore, but uh, definitely would have been part of the process, intentionality of of song placement on the album for sure.
3: T- talking of which, it's it's. A, have you ever done the thing where I mean, I, I confess to doing this, where you would have the CD and you'd put it on cassette, but take the live tracks out. You ever listened to Rattling Home like that? it sounds strange. It doesn't. It doesn't flow. <laughs> Interesting.
0: I don't, I can't say I've, I've ever never tried? done that. Yeah, yeah, I have. I have, I have to make a playlist now, of that. Yeah.
3: Yeah, of course, you
0: could easily do it with Spotify, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That's that's cool. That's a good idea. But obviously, you're saying it, it's not worth doing, so maybe we no, won't.
3: <laughs> it, it just doesn't work. <laughs>
0: All it right, let's keep, keep it moving, Angel of Harlem.
1: And
3: that's
0: one thing... I, just listening to that little clip even there, there's a certain... And I noticed this when we... I think I remember saying to, to Sula or something the, when we were watching the film that there's a certain Bono voice that he doesn't really do anymore. And there's kind of that, that voice in that song almost as that version of his voice or that, those notes or whatever that he's hitting is something that isn't there as much anymore in his current sort of repertoire. It's different. You know, his voice is aged, obviously, <laughs> just like he has.
1: He kind of sounds like a giddy little schoolboy getting to record in Sun Studio yeah. There's like there's like a happy quality about it, which you very rarely ever get.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, and it's so a live recording or live band recording anyways, I'm sure. And uh, yeah, so it would be could be part of that. And... I think
3: um, Angel of Harlem, I mean, this is the first of the three songs isn't it, now where uh, the studio is Sun Studios, but they recorded a lot extra as well. I think they did, did, had done Dancing Barefoot, they'd done Fortunate Son, Everlasting Love. Uh, Unchained Melody so they obviously had a fantastic time at Sun Studios because obviously only three tracks made it on the album but they they used it to, to record a whole host of uh, B-sides and cover versions as well and um, that really was a unique opportunity
0: yeah which going back to your suggestion of uh taking out the live tracks is maybe a better version would be like because those a lot of those ended up on b-sides and things and are worth checking down if you've never listened but like putting those back in as sort of a rattle and hum with the b-sides and and no live Mm. tracks or something might make for (laughs) an interesting playlist yeah you could go through too so um yeah let's keep moving on to love rescue me Which is the one of the tracks that it features? Obviously, another artist, Bob Dylan, is in the background there, playing and sort of mumbling along a little bit, I think. Uh, but, Sherry, you wanted to get a comment on this one?
1: Yeah, you know, going going back to to first hearing it, as if I wasn't already, you know, in tears <laughs> by the time I yeah. finished with Hawkmoon, um, I got to this and it and it just ripped ripped my heart out of out of my chest um i think i I was a little young to really understand the uh heavy heavy lyrics uh like a particular blues man told bono about the next song that we're going to talk about but i i liked the the back and forth between um what dylan sang and what bono sang and and um um it It's a song that has grown on me over over time. Um, I really appreciated the version that the band did during the Smile Jamaica benefit um, uh, in 1988 with, um, I think was Ziggy Marley. Mm. Um, But this is a a song that needs to come back into the set list.
2: No, no, all all I was going to say was I think it's an interesting song. And so I I would agree it should come back into the set list. Uh, And I think for me... Um, And and I know we all joke about the musical journey thing, yeah, Uh, but that's exactly what this album's about. And actually, you know, it's a wee bit like the the Joshua Tree uh, set lists were a bit like that. They were a wee bit kind of all over the place. There's a mixture of cover versions in there. And because Borrow Cause goes kind of country on this one, um, for me, it just kind of sums up the fact that we're just trying a bit of everything out. Um, and I think that was lost in quite a lot of people, either in terms of the movie or perhaps even the record itself. Um, but for me, this is the one that always just kind of reminds me of why that album is that album. If that makes, I don't know if that makes any sense, but that, that, apparently it's a great song mm-hmm. yeah, and Bob Dylan's on it. But um, I do, I just think it kind of sums up what the album's all about.
3: And it's got a lovely, gentle intro and a lovely, gentle outro. And in between, you've got this soaring Bono vocal. Yeah, it's, Again, another great song, and I love the way you just described that. It is you two doing country, but you're bound to when you've got Bob Dylan in the corner of the studio who <laughs> wouldn't.
1: But it's also a song that never made it in the film.
0: That's true. Yeah, that's true. what I remember watching yeah, yeah. again this time is why if you have Bob Dylan there somewhere, you'd think they'd put him on film, and maybe there was, I don't know, would it be a rights thing, thing? I don't know. Or just they didn't have the, the cameras there that day for some reason. or.
1: But you know. on the... On the album, you know, this is buried as a as a uh, um, as a track to begin with. But I would have thought, if you've got an album and it's a double album of seventeen songs, uh, promoting a movie, all those songs should be in the movie, <laughs> in the same way as as just about all the songs in the movie should be on the album. And and that's not the case. Yeah. So so that really struck me. Why wasn't this in the movie?
3: I think Sherry, perhaps what happened, Dylan said, definitely wouldn't have been in. Sun Studio. So I think I think this is the probably the one track which is probably a bit of bit of liberty. I'm not so sure they definitely did record this in Sun Studio. Yeah,
1: I because think it's
3: they they the credit has been Sun Studio but logically Dylan yeah. would have been in LA or somewhere else like that.
1: Yeah, and the and the other one that didn't make it in was God Part 2.
3: Mhm. Uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's a, w- a bit of a weird – on the promotional side, uh, I, w- I would imagine – I can't imagine what's – w- <laughs> let me say that again. I can't imagine what some of the discussions were between the movie folks and the music folks trying to figure out, you know, what, what's going to go on where and why and U2's reasoning for not and wanting certain things and all that kind of stuff. So someday we'll read the uh, behind-the-scenes expose when, when Edge decides to write it down <laughs> or something. <laughs> all right, when love comes to town. Baby, I
3: was wrong to ever let you down But I did what I did before
0: love came to town So I love this track, not just because of B.B. King, but um, there's the lyric, the depth of the lyric, obviously, and, and it's covered well in the film, um, but just as a fun U2 track that Larry gets to play a fun beat on and, um, and then Edge's Edge's solo next to B.B. King is kind of the, the most edgy thing to do of just like playing three notes over and over again while B.B. King is yes. there playing 16... 16- B.B.
1: King is horrible with chords. I know. <laughs> so Edge had to play all the chords.
0: <laughs> but his, yeah, for his solo, he just like goes... Anyways, either he was really intimidated or he just stuck to what he knew and uh, that's the way it went. But uh, Sherry, did you have some I
1: love on? the 12-inch remix on this one. I'm trying to remember. That if you get the... Um, the uh, the uh, 12-inch single for it. it. It it had the big blues, uh, 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 female backing vocals with the, Hey, 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 Hey. Uh, oh. although it sounded much better sung by, by the professional. Um, uh, and it's, it's just fun. It's a, it's, it's, it's a deep track. You got to find it. If you, if you don't have it, um, but if you're a fan of the song, you've got to find that remix. It's fantastic.
0: How about over on uh, across the pond? Was sort of the, this bluesy? u two received well, by you gents. Oh,
3: absolutely. I mean, um, I was fascinated with BB King at the round the time. Anyhow, so it came as a big surprise to me that that even recorded anything because you you didn't find anything about uh, the album till you till you picked it up and had it in your hands. There's no internet at all. Um, obviously, um, and I was fortunate, as may I mentioned earlier, to see the Love Town tour. So BB King uh, two each night, and you know, imagine BB King supporting you two. That doesn't quite sound right, does it? But um, and also, so, you know, so he did his full show. And then, of course, they came back and they played these three songs each night, if I remember right, Angel of Harlem, Love Comes to Town and Love Rescue Me. And I remember B.B. King singing Love Rescue Me as well with Bono on stage. So that was quite uh, unique and, you know, a fair play to U2 to make such a big thing and making sure B.B. King and the whole of the band, it wasn't just B.B. King, the whole of the band, B.B. King's band came up on stage as well to play with U2. And they did that night after night, all the way through Europe, for sure. I'm not sh- sure if they did it in Australia. I think they did. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. But that was that that was their love and respect for the guy.
1: And what was nice too was that I saw BB um, mid 90s, um, and he started an encore with "When Love Comes to Town." Mm. So, so you know, it was a a song that Bono gave to BB, and and. He ran with it, so I was I was quite pleased that uh, he would add it to his repertoire, given the uh, depth of 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 the music that he's he's he did over the what seventy years, eighty years that uh, he was making music. I thought that was a a nice bit of respect there.
0: Yeah, and it's a testament to his longevity because like in that was was in eighty eight or eighty seven, depending when exactly it was recorded, but. And then he did. He still continued playing and lived up until 2015. So, uh, and I remember like watching the movie again. He, he seems like a, a pretty old dude there. Uh, and then he continues playing for almost another. Help me with my math here. 20, 30, 30 years, right? It was oh. such.
1: It was such a gut wrenching thing leaving the opening night show in Vancouver last year for the uh, Innocence and Experience tour, and seeing the news that BB had died, and yeah. knowing that we were going to get when love comes to town for night two in Vancouver, which we obviously did. But the sad reason why we were going to have that be part of the set list. Um, BB was the same age as Bono's dad. And I'm sure that there was some, some sort of adoptive father son relationship that, that Bono and BB had um, dating, dating back to um, this particular collaboration.
0: Yeah. Fabiano in the chat rooms mentioned that BB King always played that song in his concerts and, in uh, Rio, three times he saw him there. So, very cool. Obviously, it's it's not just a thing for U two fans. So obviously, the BB King fan or BB King himself, anyways, at least was a huge fan of the song. So, this 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 I have to imagine this Heartline is one of those songs that for people who don't like U2 or Bono, it's like one of those over emotive kind of songs they point to, or at least would have, you know, back in the day anyways, as a song they didn't necessarily like, but I find it, I love the song. It's, it's one I can, it's like a empty, sparse kind of song, but then has this great Bono vocal on it. Um, How, what do you guys think of the, of Heartland? Where does it register with you guys?
2: It's one of these ones that falls, um, I think it's a bit of a fan favorite. I think actually it's a wee bit like Acrobat. It's kind of one of those ones that you hear people say, oh, I'd love to either hear that. Um, I love it. Um, I think it's so atmospheric. Um, I don't know if it's a hangover. I can't remember if it was a hangover. From I, think a Joshua, I think it's a Josh.
3: I think it's a Josh. Is it Josh or
2: is it Eno?
3: You know, is it, yeah. On yeah. the credits and, uh, to uh, Lanwar and and uh, Not Liliwa, Eno. It's
2: certainly yeah, Lanua anyway, yeah. I just and, and the, the, the lyrics are fantastic, yeah. Mississippi and the Cotton will Heat. Um oh, it just yeah, it's magic, absolute magic. But I'm pretty sure it is one of those kind of ones that you know, whenever the you ever see fan polls kicking around about ironic you, know?
1: you mentioned that in a twenty fourteen Rolling Stone poll, it, it ranked number six on their readers' poll of the top ten best U two deep cuts. Oh,
0: right. Yeah, I'm looking at the same article. The same. <laughs> So it's definitely uh definitely a a song that's uh it's but it's funny that uh, the Paul's a little suspect that bad is the number one deep cut when it, I mean it's played a fairly regularly but <laughs> but anyways that's not ours to bicker with I guess but
3: it feels like to me it's been recorded in the swamp that's what I love about it so you can definitely that's tell Ed awesome. has <laughs> been at it
0: I was. I wasn't sure if you were going to. Say that was a good thing or not. But there. No, I wasn't I sure you were going to say that either.
1: <laughs> I just want to know what Edge found over, the, over the lift there, Edge. <laughs> they never answered that in the movie.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. One hidden. Uh, yeah. Wait for the DVD extras of or the not DVD. What am I saying? Blu-ray something extras whatever whenever there found is. Found your
1: lyrics to October, Bono. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next up is God Part Two.
2: this was the song that basically pointed the way to Achtung Baby I think Mm. Um, uh, now I think it was Propaganda or something that I I remember reading an interview and and they kind of called it out and said this is basically a bit of a taster of where they were going directionally Um, it's a cracking song very very different sounding from the entire album so it does uh, we talked about the fact it didn't make it into the movie it does kind of sit there a wee bit like a sore thumb because the rest of it's all kind of Reflective of musical heritage, whereas I suppose this song kind of—I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm. I suppose it is a more industrial, which is where they were kind of going, you know. But I suppose it was new in terms of concept, or certainly my concept of what music was all about. Um, I think it's a great track, and uh, I never got to see it live. I know Aaron did, and he'll probably talk about that. But it sounded great, fantastic.
1: Yeah, it was it was a uh it was paying homage to uh John Lennon and his uh his uh song God from the uh Plastic Ono band um mm. album. So it was like Bono picking up the uh where uh, Lennon left off with it.
0: And Aaron, you got to hear it live?
3: Yes, I did, yeah. I mean I was, I still say this is my Easily my favourite song on Rattle and Hum, and one of my very favourite U two songs. It's an an absolutely hidden gem, I think. And like Sherry says, you know, I just love the aspect of it being God part two. As say, if you ever heard listen to God by John Lennon, I don't believe in Zimmerman, I don't believe in Beatles. You know, it's great uh, lyrics by Lennon. And you know, we have here now. I don't believe in Goldman, Goldman being American uh, biographer of. Many different uh, books by usually dead uh, musical artists, such as Lennon and Elvis, I believe, and um, the, you know the whole the whole song is just such a departure from the rest of Rattle and Hum. It's a real dark sound, and um, definitely, it's almost as if it was recorded and on the wrong album. You know, should have been perhaps on that Acton baby. It is that yeah. that different. Um, the rest of Rattle and Hum is very much a homage, very much more blues, country, folk type of songs. All together, they fit in well. Not that this sits like a sore thumb or anything, but um, it it it's to me it it fits on the album very very well. Um, yeah, going back to it to it being one of my favourite live songs because I always remember. Um, Boxing Day 1989 and the anticipation of U2 coming up on stage at the Point Theatre, which is tiny then. It, was only, it wasn't only, an arena, it was just a small theatre with 4,000 people and the lights went down and you just heard this big thumping bass drum of Larry's and straight into the song and Bono was menacing that night. and This, this song was just fantastic and uh, that that's my everlasting memory of U2 you two, you two that night was watching Bono on the rise of jumping up on the drums and just great.
0: Yeah, it definitely has that uh, live, uh, like, especially as an opening track, which you wouldn't necessarily have thought of it as being, but I can totally see that like, uh, theatrically or whatever. It's a, a great one to play off of. It sounds to me like not to go too long on God part two, but like, it's a bit, you guys mentioned sort of the way forward to Actung, but it also, maybe this is why it's it wasn't kept around or whatever. But it has a bit, to me, it's always had a bit of an 80s vibe, sort of pop rock vibe to it with the, the process, sort of dance almost drums. But I know it does kind of mix in with Actung, where they were headed there too. So Ooh. it's interesting.
3: We, we, we have a mention tonight, actually, as well. You know, Jimmy, uh, I always say Iovine, but it's not as this. Jimmy Jovine, is that how you say it? And no, how I you can pronounce it. Is it Irvine or yeah, I don't know? I mean, I've always pronounced it. Yeah. And obviously, he's gone on to various different aspects of his career. But of course, you've got to remember Jimmy. He he recorded Lennon, um, so he he had that uh, he had that advantage of you too. And you can imagine tales being told in the studio between him and Bono. You can just imagine <laughs> sharing that information.
0: Yeah, definitely. All right. Uh, well, we'll include it just for completion's sake. But Star Spangled Banner is next. <laughs> which of course leads us right into uh, bullet, the blue sky. Which again, we've, we did discuss Joshua tree. It's worth mentioning, of course, uh, a really good live version of the song includes uh, obviously a uh, uh, fairly, I was going to say good. I don't know if good is the right word, but a good Bono rant, um, directed at the events of the day bombings in Ireland, Ireland, in Ireland, uh, at the time. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was again, hearing a live version of a track like this that you would have heard on Joshua Tree, uh, I don't know for Kenny or Aaron, um, what was the the your sort of impression of it, and is there like the politics of it was i guess timely discussion relative to what you two's been doing now again in politics or, and you sort of hear people saying like why doesn't you two just stick to music? They shouldn't be involved in politics or whatever but um in the in the day when you sort of back in the day when you remember hearing this track for the first time and and the references to what was going on um uh, how was that received and and what would it, what did you think back then Kenny
2: um... If you remember. <laughs> I know, I was going to say, do, do I remember? I, I think at that that stage I was still just so blown away by the sound of the song. That, um, I mean, the linkage is obviously with the political aspect of it and it's, and it's evolved so much over the years. Um, in fact, actually, I, I saw Matt tweeting about it um, from the show that we're not supposed to mention because that's in a couple of weeks' time. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, just how they've kind of evolved that song and how they use that song um, is actually really, really quite powerful. And I think it's actually the structure of the song, the drums, the wail of the guitar kind of fits in with that kind of whole protest piece. I think, though, my recollection of the time was just simply being quite still uh, engrossed in how that song sounds. Um, You know, it sounds fantastic on the Joshua Tree album itself, which we talked about before. Uh, And then this was it kind of breaking out into that kind of live arena, um, and it's another one that, you, you know, it, it kind of cranks up a notch or two or three um, and uh, just sounds even more powerful than the album version, which I think is really hard because I think the album version is pretty, pretty bang on. So, you know, I, I'm not sure I'm necessarily right to comment in terms of how I felt about it politically at the time, but certainly music, musically I was just engrossed by it at the time and I thought it was a great version.
0: Yeah, it is one of those songs that morphs and changes to fit the political climate of the day and and musically I think uh it's worth mentioning too just with this being the live version of it that um it is it would be just be a fun song that allows them to sort of flex i guess the song or grow and shrink it as they need to and and you know just larry and adam can keep keep the rhythm going for as long as they need to for whatever rant bono needs to insert um and edge is just it's just a you know a a wide open low e string kind of rock song that he can just riff on for a while if he needs to and things like that so um yeah it's a it's a fun one and and looking back on all the different versions of it of course it's kind of fun to hear one of the original live versions of it at, at the time so
3: i think it's certainly the definitive live version i mean the, this has been released a number of times live on various b-sides and obviously you've got live fan club albums or whatever but i think this is the definitive live
0: version oh, i don't know about that aaron i i'd debate that with you but I'm just kidding.
1: It's it's the version that had the least amount of visuals to support the message that the song was trying to uh, uh, convey. So for yeah, me, sir. "Rattle and Hum" it's just the spotlight. purest version yeah. of this song. It's just mm. about the music. Once yeah. you break it into the Zoo TV tour, and I think my dog agrees with me. Once you um, uh, break it into the Zoo TV tour with the visuals, and then and then as the song is morphed over time, it is linked to the visuals more than it is to the music
0: mm. yeah that could be true for certain i know for me it was the uh the b side to uh stay which is a weird comparing but yeah. during the zoo tv tour uh Zoropa, i guess tour um that really sort of stuck with me but again that's sort of being my era for you too or whatever is kind of when i locked in with them and Um, but no, I think each time when they sort of reinvent the song slightly or change it up a little bit or whatever, I, I love it again, even more. And it's not one, um, you know, comparing it to pride that gets played a lot, obviously live, that one stays more or less the same. They don't, mess with it they don't change the structure a bit they don't the style stays the same all that kind of stuff Um, other than like we said maybe changing the key and tempo Um, you
1: just ramp up the anger portion yeah
0: exactly (laughs) but visually it's definitely been one they've had a lot more fun with too so Um, right, we're almost at the end the credits are rolling on the film and we get to hear All I Want Is You
1: This is the song that, you know, it closes out the album, it closes out the movie, and it's the one that when I was uh, collecting my um, illegal recordings, um, that I enjoyed the most when I heard it live. And I think, Aaron, you could probably speak mm. to it, um, because on the Lovetown tour, it mm. was phenomenal. Absolutely. Uh, So, so it's just one of those songs where you just want to be in a, I think, I think Matt has, has mentioned about being in a dark room with headphones on and just getting lost within it. And every time, um, I want to get lost in a song, I will always pick all I want is you.
3: Yeah. I mean, they collaborated really well on this one as well because they, then they use Van Dyke parks Mm -hmm. on this one. And, you know, The the album version is brilliant. I I, I never liked the single because they they edited it down too much. They took about two, three minutes out of it. But it's a a lovely end to this album. And I have to say all I want is you, in my honest opinion, is the most underrated U2 song they've yet recorded. It's also probably the most underrated live song they perform. That's how I feel about this song. and The video for it as well, for the single, because it was quite a late um single in terms of u2 post album release because it, it was released a good nine ten months after the album had come out but they made a real big effort in creating a, a fantastic video which was actually a 50 minute concept story with a circus performance mm-hmm. whatever and i say it's one of the great love songs not just by u2 but by any any musical act it's just fantastic
0: yeah, I think, and you mentioned the live version too, where it's it is one of those ones that they've kind of refined over time in in the live version and playing. I think it was a vertical tour. It's definitely on the the U two twenty two live CD, I think, or whatever. Mm, that one really cool. that version is is just great because Edge gets to just sc- sort of scream on it as well and his guitar solo and stuff, and and take the yep. what it is a simple uh, simple uh, riff or chords. Uh, again, which it can be easily played on an acoustic, just, you know, by yourself, solo guitarist or whatever, singer to like full band rocking, a you know, 50,000 seat stadium or whatever, um, which I think is a great, a testament to it being a great song that it works both places just as well uh, with different music and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, and a great song to close out the album.
2: It's just beautiful. Yeah. Isn't it? It's great. It's just absolutely fantastic. And also get has got a great video that goes along with it as well. So,
3: One thing I want to say about and Hum before we finish tonight is whoever's may or may not be listening to this in U2 world, whether it's the band themselves or whether it's the management, the record company, please, please, please get this album released as a 30th anniversary album, whatever, 2018's coming up. Take your time and release it. It deserves to be re-released and have the full deluxe package. We want it.
0: Yeah, it wasn't uh it has never been remastered, right? Or was it?
3: That's right. It's yeah. they skipped it. I think they may have had problems with trying to get the album and the DVD.
1: Um Well, the DVD red, the DVD is now out of print.
3: That's right.
1: Um the rights are no longer under Paramount Pictures. Paramount, They've yeah. reverted back to the band. So the band have control over what they want to do and how they want to do it. So I have to agree with you, Aaron. We we need a commemorative version of this.
3: Yeah, And we know there's six hours of outtakes. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I I just happen to have a copy along with the million other people on
1: great yes. new
3: old VHS. But
1: yes, yeah, seven VHSs. Nothing beats Bono's trip to the hospital. Let me tell you.
3: That's right. And <laughs> they ask him his name. Remember that bit? <laughs> um, right. What's my name? <laughs>
1: Just give me the bloody pain medication, why don't you?
0: <laughs> All right, well, there's something to send you Googling if you don't already know what they're talking about. Uh, I've kind of vaguely remember hearing r- myths and rumors of, of extra footage that's been out there on in the world. So with the internet being the internet, I'm sure there's ways and places to find it that we will not discuss on this podcast. But And
1: they will not be in the show notes, but no. you can Google it. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> which is why you two, whoever's out there, should you should release it because fans are watching it in crummy little video versions or whatever on their computers. And they deserve to see that in full HD or whatever, whatever it is capable, I guess from the footage you have. Um, Anyways. All right, let's wrap this episode up before we start going into uh, before folks, uh, what was the way Bonham put it to get sick of us and the red light has come on. It's time for us to go away and dream it all up again and be back for another episode of the podcast so you're not completely sick of us. Uh, Aaron where can folks find you on the internet if they disagree with your assessment of both uh, the blue sky being the definitive version.
3: You can find me on Twitter at Ivanobe IVANOBE or contact me via the contact list on dot com.
0: Yeah, a good little website to check out. Kenny how about you?
3: Uh, you
2: can find me on Twitter at Sing No More or you can come and find me on
0: the At U two forum. All right, and Sherry.
1: You can always find me at U two comsherry Sherry on Twitter.
0: Awesome. And I'm iChris on Twitter, and of course, like we have said, you can follow the at U two site. All news and stuff that we tweet out uh, at ATU two on Twitter. If there happens to be another a concert by U two in twenty sixteen, <laughs> that's where you're Sherry or somebody will be live tweeting it, I'm sure. And facebook.com slash atu2com is where you can like us and keep up with information on there. And then goodstuff.fm slash atu2 is where you can find all the episodes of this podcast. Find the link to subscribe in iTunes if you do that. Um, We haven't asked for it in a while, actually. But if you feel so inclined, leaving a rating and or review in iTunes is an awesome way to let folks know about the podcast. It's kind of how Apple and iTunes uh, rate or find popular podcast so you can leave us a rating or review uh and uh, that'd be awesome and help the word get out about the podcast for now thanks for listening we'll see you again next time bye